I want you to imagine that you're a neurosurgeon. You're about to operate on a patient that has a severe brain tumor. So you get prepped, you wash your hands, you put on the gloves, the scrubs, the mask. You enter the operating room and there your team is waiting on you, waiting for you to give them the directives. You take a scalpel and you make that first cut and now you've committed yourself, right? Now you're all in. There's no turning back. All eyes are on you as you cut deeper and deeper, working your way carefully around nerves and tissue so as not to cause permanent damage. Eventually you get to the tumor where you expose it and with precision and detail you cut around it knowing that this is life or death. Cut too much and you cause irreversible damage. Cut too little and you may not get all of the tumor and whatever's left may grow back. So, you do your utmost to be careful, to be surgical, obviously, in covering every minute detail to make certain that you remove that tumor. Imagine yourself being in the position of being a brain surgeon, because you are. Every one of you at least should be. You know, they often say when it comes to studying the Bible, it's not brain surgery. Oh, yeah, it is. All of us should be brain surgeons when it comes to the All of us should be taking the utmost care and concern as we cut deeper and deeper to dissect whatever is there in a passage to expose it and to lift it out so as to apply it to our lives. And I believe that's what Paul is telling Timothy. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, I believe that's the instructions that Paul is giving him. I think he's telling Timothy, be surgical in your approach to Scripture. Remind them of these things, he says, starting in verse 14, and solemnly charge them in the presence of God not to wrangle about words, which is useless and leads to ruin of the hearers. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth. But avoid worldly and empty chatter, for it will lead to further ungodliness, and their talk will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, men who have gone astray from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already taken place, and they upset the faith of some. Nevertheless, the firm foundation of God stands, having this seal. The Lord knows those who are His, and everyone who names the name of the Lord is to abstain from wickedness. Now, it's important to understand the background behind this text or the setting of it. Both Timothy and Titus were immersed in cultures that were plagued by false teachers. So the church was in desperate need of individuals who were willing to stand up and preach and teach and live the truth of God's Word. And Paul uses the word charge quite often. In fact, we could really sum up his message like this. He is charging Timothy to carry on the legacy. He is passing the baton. Now, you only pass the baton to people that you know will finish. 
And so Paul is entrusting the gospel and the mission to Timothy. He's placing it in his hands to continue to preach it, to share it, to live it. Remember these words. He said, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled. They will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires and will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths. But you be sober in all things, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Paul's primary message to Timothy was keep it going. Here's the baton. Here's the torch. Keep running with it. Carry the baton. And and this doesn't just apply to Timothy, does it? I mean, you can go over to the book of Titus, and you can see Paul makes a charge to older women and encourages them to teach the younger women. And for the young men, he says to carry themselves in a godly manner and thus set a godly example. Even slaves are urged to be subject to their masters, showing all good faith so that they will adorn the doctrine of God and Savior in every respect. So there is a chain of command here. The message to Timothy is very simple. He's giving him marching orders. These men were not expected, whether it be Timothy and Titus or whoever, they were not expected to to change the world. They were expected to preach the word. They were expected to carry out the mission. They were expected to do not all of the teaching and all of the converting. They were instructed to pass along these responsibilities to delegate them to faithful men. It wasn't all on them. It was on the others that they delegated it to as well. But there were certain people that were prime candidates and certain people that weren't. And that's part of the charge. Here's something that we cannot afford to miss contextually. If you sit down and you read through 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, if you read through Titus, you'll see one thing stands out very clear in Paul's instructions to these two men. He stresses character over and over again. Because it's not just about teaching and preaching the truth. If you want to have the credibility to teach and preach the truth, then you're going to have to have the character that goes along with it. Because being a truth teller means nothing if you're not a truth liver, right? So Paul's instruction to Timothy and Titus is to pursue righteousness, pursue faith, pursue love, pursue peace, avoid quarrels and controversies, be kind to everyone, patiently endure evil, correct opponents with gentleness, and take special note of this charge to Timothy. But the goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. That is a great summary, a concise summary of Paul's charge to young Timothy. The goal is teaching, and that goal should include love, right? That should be the primary motivation behind the teaching. Love for Jesus, love for the mission, love for people. Paul is charging Timothy to be a world changer. But you'll notice, as you read both of these letters to Timothy, Timothy wasn't tasked with changing the world through politics. He wasn't tasked with changing the world through activism or through aggression. Because you don't change the world through those things. You change the world one soul at a time. So that's why Paul is giving these marching orders. He's passing the baton to Timothy. I want you to imagine something else. You've already imagined being a brain surgeon. Now imagine being a baker. 
and you have been commissioned to bake a cake for the President of the United States for his birthday. Or let's say that you're a tailor or a seamstress, and you've been commissioned to put together a suit for the President of the United States or a dress for the First Lady. First lady. Let's say that you're an airplane mechanic, and let's say that you have been commissioned to work on Air Force One to make sure that it is maintained, that it is ready to fly and to hold up in the air. Now, my guess is that you would take those responsibilities very seriously. Now, hopefully, if you're an airplane mechanic, you take that job seriously no matter what airplane you're working on, but you get the idea, right? Imagine baking a cake for the president and using rotten eggs. Imagine presenting him a cake that looks like it had been run over by your car. Imagine making a suit tailored for the president himself and one sleeve is longer than the other or the pant legs don't go all the way down past the ankles. Imagine looking at the airplane under the hood, so to speak, and you see an oil leak and you say, well, that should still get him where he's going. Now, my guess is you're going to take those responsibilities very seriously. You're going to put the time and the effort into it to make sure that everything is perfect. You're going to take extra care and precision with those tasks. Verse 15 states, it's a signature verse, I should say, before we read it, to everything that we've been discussing. And I think it really talks about what we've just mentioned, about being diligent, making sure that we're taking precise care and concern about the task in front of us. Paul says, be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth. And so Paul tells Timothy, be attentive to the quality of work that you're doing. Make certain that you are taking care and precaution. Do everything you can with everything you've been given. Paul's admonition to Timothy was live and labor for an audience of one. And let me ask you, does that admonition still apply to Christians today? I think absolutely, don't you? Here's a few truths related to this concept that I think Paul bears out. Number one, you cannot comprehend the work of God unless you comprehend the Word of God. Number two, advancing the work of God is directly related to advancing the Word of God. And number three, the Word of truth is vital to the work of truth. I have a philosophy, you can call it a formula, and and this formula drives me every day in ministry. And that is, every sermon, every Bible class, every ministry should be grounded in Scripture. Every single one of them. I mean, what good is a sermon if it doesn't relate to Scripture? What good is a sermon if I just stand up here and give you some good life lessons or tell you some stories, but there's no Scripture involved? What good is a Bible class that doesn't actually crack open a Bible? What good is a ministry if we don't have it grounded in Scripture? Everything we do relates back to who we are and how we're shaped by the Word of God. You've heard me say this before, but we have a huge problem in the religious world. And the biggest problem in the religious world is that we don't know God. And the sad thing is, we can absolutely know God. In fact, we must know God. Scripture is there for us to learn about God, the God that we are to worship and to serve. The foundation of all true knowledge of God is found in a clear mental apprehension of His divine nature as revealed to us in Scripture. 
A spiritual and saving knowledge of God is the greatest need for every human being, and people are missing out all because they refuse to go to the source. Instead of brain surgeons who meticulously dissect Scripture, many just go by feeling or word of mouth. As a result, they often form a a conceptualization of God that fits their narrative, but tragically doesn't align with Scripture. But God just wants me to be happy. No, he doesn't. He wants you to be holy. God made me this way. No, no, he didn't. I can't believe in a God that believes in hell. You can't? Well, Jesus spoke about hell more than anybody else in the New Testament. God knows my heart. Yes, he does. And that's no excuse. God can't be real if he allows suffering. Okay, but how do you explain, how do you answer the questions pertaining to suffering without God? Statements and questions like these stem from a lack of knowledge, right? And, and for some, that's okay. For some, we need to be patient with them as they work through these things. But for many others, it's a lack of knowledge due to a lack of study. We haven't been the brain surgeons that we need to be. We haven't rightly divided the Word of God. And instead of trusting our feelings and our own cognizance, we need to place our confidence in the Word of God. Listen to how one person described the Bible. He said, this book contains the mind of God, the state of man, the way of salvation, the doom of sinners, and the happiness of believers. Its doctrine is holy, its precepts are binding, its histories are true, and its decisions are immutable. Read it to be wise, believe it to be saved, and practice it to be holy. It contains light to direct you, food to support you, and comfort to cheer you. It is the traveler's map, the pilgrim's staff, the pilot's compass, the soldier's sword, and the Christian's charter. Here heaven is opened, and the gates of hell are disclosed. Christ is the grand subject, our good its design, and the glory of God its end. It should fill the memory, rule the heart, and guide the feet. Read it slowly, frequently, and prayerfully. It is a mine of wealth, health to the soul, and a river of pleasure. It is given to you here in this life, will be opened at the judgment, and is established forever. It involves the highest responsibility, will reward the greatest labor, and condemn all who trifle with its contents. You must be convinced that that Bible you hold in your hand is the book of books. You must be convinced of that. That doesn't mean that you won't wrestle with its contents. As I've said before, you've got to allow Scripture to humbly trouble you, right? But you've got to believe that this is God speaking, that this is His way of communicating with us, that this is the book of books, and as a laborer for God in the gospel, you must recognize that this is your tool for the trade. This is your instrument. And you cannot be an effective workman without utilizing your most valuable resource. I would say it like this, that God's workers must be fat followers. Yeah, you heard me right. You should be fat. Faithful, you should be available, and you should be teachable. That's what Paul is instructing Timothy. To be fat, to be faithful, to be available, and to be teachable. That's what we see here. Chapter 2 begins, you, Therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. The things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. 
entrust these to faithful men. That just makes sense, doesn't it? Why would you entrust this most precious gift to somebody who's not going to cherish it? Why would you entrust it to people who are not going to be finishers? You don't pass the torch or the baton to someone who's not going to finish. And so you entrust this to faithful men. I read the story the other day about a 4 by 100 relay team at a small remote college. And, and this team was running so well, they were in the lead. And they handed the baton off to the third leg in the relay race. And that gentleman ran just a little ways and then went to the infield and sat down. And everybody was concerned. They thought he was hurt, and so they ran over to him to check on him. He wasn't hurt. just didn't want to run anymore. That is the point where he reached and said, I quit. And we all know people like that. We all know people who dropped out of the Christian race. They started off so well. God wants finishers. Paul wants finishers. Paul says, entrust this to faithful men, to men that you know are going to finish the race, that you know you can trust to keep on running. Notice in verses 4 and following, it says, No soldier in active service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life so that he may please the one who enlisted him as a soldier. Also, if anyone competes as an athlete, he does not win the prize unless he competes according to the rules. The hardworking farmer ought to be the first to receive his share of the crops. I don't think I need to add anything to that. No commentary needed, right? When it comes to being an approved worker for the Lord, only the faithful need apply. But it's not just about being faithful. It starts there, but it's also about being available. And that just makes sense also. You got to be available, right? There's no need to entrust sound doctrine to people who have too many irons in the fire. There's no reason to entrust sound doctrine to people who've got too many plates spinning. You need those who are seeking first the kingdom of God, right? You need those who are hungering and thirsting for righteousness above all else. That's who you entrust the word of God to. Too many are running the wrong race, and they're racing towards the wrong finish line. Notice the line, no soldier in active service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life so that he may please the one who enlisted him as a soldier. You've got to be able to trust the one that you're giving this precious gift to. If he's unreliable, if he shows up late, if you can't count on him, if he says he'll be there and then doesn't show up, that's not the kind of person you can pass the baton to. They've got to be ready, they've got to be willing, they've got to be available. And then, you are to entrust the truth to teachable men, Paul says. And again, you know what I'm going to say, this just makes sense, doesn't it? You need someone with an open heart and an open mind who's going to listen, who's going to take the word of truth and apply it to their lives, right? You cannot pass the baton without opening your mouth. Sure, you live it. Sure, you display it through godly character, but you've got to share it as well. But there's an art and an attitude to that, isn't there? I know of Christians who don't mind at all sharing the truth, but they're very unloving when they do it. They sure don't mind telling somebody they're wrong. In fact, they, they think their spiritual gift is maliciously sharing the word of truth. Kind of like the guy that decided he was going to go to a gospel meeting at the local church of Christ. He's never been to the church of Christ, but he decided they're having a gospel meeting. I'm going to go. And so he goes and he comes back home and his wife says, well, how was it? And he says, well, the preacher told me I'm going to hell and he seemed quite pleased about it. We shouldn't be pleased with the fact that there are lost sinners in the world around us. We should be truth tellers with tears. It should hurt us to see people who are lost and can't find their way. Teaching requires love and compassion and patience. And let me just say this. There used to be this sentiment that if you just preach the truth, people will come. 
That's not true, folks. Some might. Now, you may get folks that are already Christians that leave one church and come to another. But the truth of the matter is, our world doesn't have the first clue about truth. Have you noticed that? Just get on social media. And so, we cannot expect someone coming out of the world to be at our level. And I think too often that's what we do. And we get aggressive, and we get angry, and we get malicious because they're worldly. Well, yeah, what do you expect? Quit expecting worldly people to act like a Christian. If they are teachable, we can teach them with love and compassion, and hopefully there will be conversion. But we don't convert anybody anyway. God does. At the end of the day, Paul says, Entrust these to teachable men. If they prove to be unteachable, they're not fit to carry the baton, but at least you did your job, right? Are you a fat follower? That's really what it boils down to. Read yourself into the entirety of this letter. Go back and read First and Second Timothy. Read yourself into those letters. Think about you being Timothy and being in the position of receiving these marching orders from God. Think about that baton being passed to you. And think about how it starts with being a brain surgeon. It starts with rightly dissecting the Word of God, exposing the truth of it, living it, teaching it, sharing it with others. It's, it's, it's about being a fat follower, being a faithful, available, teachable follower. I want to close with verse 19. Verse 19, Paul writes, Nevertheless, the firm foundation of God stands, having this seal. The Lord knows those who are His, and everyone who names the name of the Lord is to abstain from wickedness. I don't want to bring a dark cloud into the room this evening, but we live in a pretty challenging time. We live in a culture that's pretty dark, where there is enormous spiritual, moral, cultural confusion. And this is a day and time where many call evil good and good evil. Our world seems to raise the bar on stupidity every single day. And God, Jesus, Christian values, they're mocked, they're spit upon, they're ridiculed, they're dismissed. And in fact, there's even churches all across this great land that are abandoning biblical truth in favor of catering to the culture. Paul and Timothy were dealing with similar challenges. They were dealing with similar things, and in such an environment, it might be tempting to give up, to quit, or to ask the question, what's it all for? I'm not going to make a dent in any of this anyway. Why do I even try? But verse 19 remind us, reminds us that the church does not belong to us. It belongs to God. And even at the worst of times, God knows his children, and we are called to something higher and something deeper. And it is our mission to shed light in a dark world. It may prove unfruitful. People may not listen. But verse 19 starts with, nevertheless. Nevertheless. When false teachers abound, when they rear their ugly head, nevertheless. When perilous times come, nevertheless. When we fear the future, nevertheless. When we are worried about an election, nevertheless. When we worry about the health and the survival of the Lord's church, nevertheless. 
when persecution comes upon us. Nevertheless, in the end, we have nothing to fear because God is in control and God still sits on his throne and therefore we bow to him, nothing else, and we know that when we surrender to him, we're going to be well taken care of. That there may be perilous times now, but nevertheless, eternity awaits. Those who trust him will be safe forever. Paul had this promise, Timothy had this promise, and we have this promise as well. We have it, and therefore we've got to do something with it. So be a brain surgeon, right? Accurately handle the Word of God, rightly divide the Word of God, and be a fat follower. Faithful, available, and teachable. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day that we've had to worship you. We thank you so much for our church family. We pray that we grow closer and closer together as we seek to serve you to the best of our ability. We thank you for this avenue of prayer. We pray, Lord, that uh, you will help us as we seek to be faithful and available and teachable. Help us, God, to carry that baton, to pass it to the next generation and the next, and the next, until our Lord returns. God, we love you. We pray that we please you in all that we do. It's in your son's precious name we pray. Amen. We say it every week. There's no good reason to leave here without being right with God. If you have a need tonight that we can help you with, please let us know. And let's leave here tonight, and let's be ready to change the world tomorrow by being fat followers. If you have a need, come now as we stand and as we sing.